I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week... We're talking to Mara Timone. She works in the Ministry of Defence in a top secret job that actually we can't really know much more about. But she has put some of that knowledge and experience into her brand new espionage novel called City of Spies. It's been dubbed Le Carre meets Casablanca and it's been inspired by a part of the war that no one really knows about. Now we talk about her and her unique ways of getting into the character... You'll understand the pause in just a sec. Also, you can find out how it is the character that knows what's happening, not really the writer at all. And also how she took her reader and fully immersed them in a different place. And I start peppering in bits of the city. What sort of food do they normally eat? What sort of places do they normally go? What's the music like? Uh, My character has um, quite a few um, mishaps or adventures, um, going around some of the um, historic um, places, the relics, the remains of the castle. Um, so I start adding things in there based on what I feel when I'm there. So there's more on the way with Mara Timone in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes, welcome along. It's Writer's Routine, the show where we take a little sneak peek inside the day of some of the most successful authors around. Uh, My name's Dan Simpson. Thank you so much for listening to us. This episode of the show is sponsored by the House of Paris Le Grand. Uh, It's out now by Nicholas Robinson, who has supported us over on Patreon. It was published back in March. Uh, Nicholas was due to sign with an agent, but then lockdown happened. Uh, But he pushed on and he published the book regardless, thinking that the world needed some fun and frolic. And they get it with this book. Now, it follows Sophie, who is hopeless, dull, boring, not really got much going on. But everything soon changes after a near-death experience. And then she writes a bucket list. She's going through a divorce. She wants to, to finally figure out what she wants to get done in life. And this leads her to meet the titular Paris. Paris Le Grand. I think Le Grand. That's how I read it as Le Grand. Uh, a drag queen, an exuberant, humongous, hysterical character. It's proper rom-com, this book, and, and brilliantly, unashamedly so. It's all about Sophie finding happiness with the help of a huge host of these incredibly colourful characters. If you love joy and happiness, and a little bit of campness too, brilliant campness, you will love this book. It's the perfect place to start as well, because it's the beginning of a trilogy, 
all about Paris. They follow all different aspects of life. Now, the first, the House of Paris Le Grand, also explores mental health struggles, but it does it in a in a beautiful way that lacks the um the occasional overbearing worthiness, I guess, that sometimes those conversations c- c- can have. I mean, it's right that we need to do them, but I find sometimes that happens when it's written down. But th- these don't have that. Uh, it's a fantastic, it's a fun book, and I'm, I'm delighted that Nicholas has supported us because it's given me the chance to uh, to tell you about it. It's called The House of Paris Le Grand. And as I say, Nicholas pushed on and released it through lockdown to give the world some, some colourful joy. Uh, and it would mean the world if you went and checked it out and helped out our writing community here. Uh, you can grab yourself a copy using the link in the episode notes and over at writersroutine.com and make a start on the first of a brand new brilliant trilogy by Nicholas Robinson. Now this week we're chatting to Mara Timone all about a day in the life of writing her brand new novel City of Spies. It all comes from a part of history that she wasn't really that sure about, the part of Portugal in the Second World War. And when she was told that she should look into it, uh, her mind immediately started going, ideas started happening. Now we talk more about that and also about what happens when a character goes their own way and how you have to follow them. Uh, We also chat about how much she likes to get done in a day, in a week, and why she took on NaNoWriMo, which is the the National November Writing Month. You try and crack through as many words as you can in a particular way in November. Uh, And also you can hear about her ways of getting into character, which I hinted at earlier, they are absolutely brilliant proper inspirational these so listen up for those and we start as we always do with what mara sees around her in the place where she sits down to write okay so i will give you my proper writing room which is to say a spare bedroom in my flat in east london um in front of my desk very large computer screen um and a replica painting. I don't know who the author is, the artist is, but very pretty, very 19th century look. Um, To my left, um, between two very large bookcases, is a window overlooking um, one of the canals. So it's quite nice to see um, the narrowboats going up and down the canal each day. Behind me is a cross trainer machine that I don't use enough. And behind that, another bookcase. And above that bookcase, I have a um, a poster from World War II, which has a beautiful um, blonde woman surrounded by an officer from the respective um, services. And she's looking very, very um, self-satisfied. And they are looking like they're trying to impress her. And it says, keep mum, she's not so dumb. Careless talk saves lives. And considering that I write World War II espionage, my characters are strong female characters who often overhear things that they probably shouldn't have. It seems incredibly relevant. It's quite a busy place then where you are. Uh, is that busyness? I don't know if I'm reading too much into these things, but is that busyness kind of mirrored in the way that you write? Your, your, how ideas come to you? Well... It's busyness because I have a lot of books, really, um, and one machine that I don't really use that often. <laughs> um, for me, the way I write, I kind of get out of my own head when I write. And when I sit down, it's not planned. 
um, I'm not one of those people who can create the the start to end with there's going to be this happening on page 37 and that happening on page 126. Um, I couldn't do that in school. I can't do that now. Um, I sit down and I have an idea for a book. Pretty good idea where it starts, vague idea where it ends. And then I create the characters. And the characters then hold my hand and they take me with them on the journey. So while I write in my writing room because it's convenient, because I've got reference books if I want to look anything up, I probably could be doing the same anywhere else. And I have done it anywhere else as well. I, I've, I've written on tubes. I've written in coffee shops and, um, and restaurants, but my writing room does seem to be the best. Let me just bring you back to the room where you are. Uh, it, it, I, I know you've said that you don't really plan too much. Uh, is there anything around you, though, w which would give away some of the story? If I were to walk in, would I see post-it notes? Would I see a few plot points and ideas that you've jotted around and stuck to walls or a whiteboard? Yes. Um, so the poster behind me is always a, a good reminder um, because I am one of those people I will swivel around and sometimes stare at it. Um, I have post-it notes all around my computer. I have a whiteboard off to the side. Um, it doesn't really have plot details, um, but it does have um, kind of the overarching, what am I trying to do? Um, and right now it also does have a printout from um, my, my book cover because I get all excited with that. <laughs> And you said that you, you can write on tubes and you can write on trains and planes. Is there anything that you need to have with you, aside from a laptop or a tablet or whatever it is? Is there anything that you need when you write that just helps you tap into that headspace? Not really. Um, but I do use different things when my characters aren't talking to me. So... Okay, tell me more. <laughs> um, it's not so much the physical, but it's more um, the smell of things. So it's almost like um, if I need to call up the ghost of one of my characters, for example, my main character in City of Spies, I will wear the perfume that um, she's noted to wear. When did you start doing that? What was the moment where you, you, were, probably having, you were probably having trouble you were probably having trouble getting into someone's mind when you thought, well, hang about, if I wear their perfume, it might help me get there. <laughs> it is a bit weird. I, I had also tried a couple of other things. Um, I have a, a 1940s hat that I found at a charity shop. Um, I've tried a couple of different things, but I, I do find that um, the scent somehow kind of connects me a little bit better. Um and it just kind of works. So I have a full-time job. So I try to take advantage of the time I have before kind of midday and after as much as I can. So I get up, I brew a pot of coffee and I go into my um, writing room and turn on the laptop. I'll read through what I wrote the day before just to try to get the continuity going again. And then I'll sit down and I'll write from say about 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning until about 8.30 when I start my day job. Um, in the days when I was still commuting, I would also print out what I had written the day before and take that with me to edit. 
um, and use my tube journey to edit the work. Um, during lunch, if I can get lunch, because um, my day is a little bit um, unpredictable, um, I will sometimes hide off um, again with, with the manuscript and come up with different ideas or go back and say, okay, if I put this in, that's going to change something back and just, just try to make sure that it's consistent going forward. Um, end of the day, go back, read through what I have, do a little bit of light editing. By about eight o'clock at night though, I'm done. My, my brain has turned off and it just does not want to come out anymore with the exception of when I'm working against a crazy deadline, at which point I go back into um, university mode and I will burn the midnight candle as long as I have to until I um, get done what I need to get done. Are you writing every day of the week? Um, I would like to say yes, but the answer is probably not. <laughs> um, I have been for the last couple of months um, because I, I am trying to work to a deadline and I'm editing my second book, um, working on and editing my second book. Um, but I, I would say during the weekday, yes. Um, on the weekends, I probably do one day a week. Um, and the other day I, I tried to um, claw back some sort of social life. Now that's quite a tight writing day. You've got time in the morning. You, you're you're using every minute that's available to you on the tube during lunch when you're back, constantly working on this manuscript. How much do you ideally like to get done in a day, or is it just a case of, as I've said, using all the time to to, to get everything out there? Ideally, if I can get a chapter done, I'm happy. Um, sometimes I'll go back and bin a chapter and rewrite it and bin it and rewrite it. Um, but what I have been doing, um, and I've been doing this for a couple of years now, is I lead, um, or not really lead, um, I leverage um, my day job into my writing job. Um, so my day job, I'm a project and program manager. Um, so very organized, you would think. Um, so I should plan my books a little bit better than I do, but we're not going to go there. Um, but I have had word count spreadsheets. So I started doing it just to track what I was doing. And then I thought, okay, well, let me turn this around. If the target is 100,000 words-ish, how long is it going to take me to find out how the book ends if I write 2,000 words a week, if I write 5,000 words a week, if I, you know, do 6,000 words a week, and I rarely do more than 6,000 words a week. Um, so I kind of use that to spur myself on. Um, and then I got myself really geeky at one point, um, and I did NaNoWriMo, and I started graphing everything so I could really see how I was doing with the word count. Um, not particularly great writing during NaNoWriMo, but... Anyway. Did these things help you or did they almost act as a uh, almost a distraction? You, you graphing, you filling out word, uh, word count spreadsheets. It, sometimes things like that sound a little bit like well, I, I just want I, I want to kind of do the writing, but I don't actually want to write. This is still like I'm working, but I'm not actually having to, to, to do the arduous process of actually writing. <laughs> It's a little bit of light procrastination and the kick in the ass to, to get myself actually sitting down and, and writing. Um, but it is a framework that, that does work for me and I do get the writing done. Um, and the thing is, is very often once I'm in the swing of a book, I don't really have a choice. The story is moving forward. 
and I write as fast as I can to keep up. Uh, the way I write is my first draft, I just want to get the story down because I don't know how it ends. I don't know what happens in the middle. So it is very bare of details. It is just the, the this is what's happening. Second draft, I go back and add the color around it. Um, so I don't, I'm not one of those people as well who can do um, one draft and is perfect and it's done. Um, I normally go through several drafts of a book before I show it to anybody. It's all, it all sounds very methodical, Mara. It, um, as in it seems so well planned and structured. As I, as I said, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna print out my manuscript so I can read it on the train. You're using every single slice of uh, of uh, free time that you have to tell your story. Where does this come from? Uh, the, like, is 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 it mirrored in the line of work that you do? Have you always have you always been like this? I'm still reeling that the you call my writing methodical because <laughs> it doesn't feel like it when I'm in the middle of it um, <laughs> at all. Um, yeah, it, it kind of it kind of has. Um, my day job, as I said, I'm a um, program project business change manager. So for me to have a plan is is just kind of natural. And when I'm actually writing the story out as well, sometimes I'll keep a timeline as to what's happening when. So I can kind of make sure I haven't gotten any time issues on something where uh, two days have passed, but I've said five days have passed. Um, so yeah, I guess, I guess it is a lot of my day job that that's reflected in my writing. Um, but I think it also is, if in the days where um, I was single, <laughs> um, I had a lot more time on my own. Now it's trying to balance my relationship with my day job, with my writing. So I kind of have to find whatever tools I can um, to be able to do that. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
More with Mara in just a sec on Writer's Routine. This week's episode is sponsored by Nicholas Robinson and his brand new book, The House of Paris Le Grand. You can find out more about it. Grab your copy using the link in the episode notes below. And it's over at writersroutine.com as well. Now, if you if you want your book to sponsor a future show just like that, uh, it's very easy to make it happen. You need to support us over on our Patreon page. Uh, if you're enjoying the tips that we're getting, if any of them have helped the way that you tell your stories... Please say thank you to us with just a dollar or so a month on there. You can get your book to sponsor an episode if um, lockdown well, and 2020 generally really has slightly hampered uh, the, the dream publishing of your book that you had always envisioned. If it's kind of turned it into a bit of a damp squib, uh, let me do the talking for you. I will plug it very heavily on the show. Uh, You can do that. You can sponsor us. You can also get bits of merch too. Just a little bit a month really helps us out. It helps us carry on bringing you chats with the most famous authors around as often as possible. um, So you can hear how they get stuff done. Maybe steal a few of their tricks as well. Uh, Do that. Head to patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Right, let's get back to it then with Mara Timone uh, talking about her brand new book, City of Spies. It's an espionage thriller in Lisbon during World War II. Now, in this half, we talk about how Mara gets into the head of her characters and finds that the tone and the voice that's right for them. We also talk about how you write thrillers when there's a lot going on elsewhere. So if you're focusing on one character and you know what the rest of what's happening in the story, how do, how do they know the rest of what's happening in the story, if you kind of get it. Um, how do you make your character aware of that? We'll get to that in a bit. And we pick things up, talking about where she got that very first idea for City of Spies and how it all came from a suggestion on a train. I'd written a book before, um, which is pretty much half-baked. Um, and I was on a train going down for a business meeting with a couple of colleagues. And one of them knew I was writing, the other didn't. And she was asking me if I was going to be staying longer after a meeting in Paris um, so I could do research. I said, well, yes, blah, blah, blah. And the other one is like, oh, well, when you're done with, with your book about France, you might want to consider doing something about Portugal. And this, this colleague of mine was Portuguese. And I thought, oh, well, you know, why do you say that? Because as far as I know, Portugal was neutral during the war. And that was such an incredibly naive thing for me to say, because so much was happening in Portugal during the war. Um, and the more I started researching what, just the period, the more I was like, this is such an amazing time. How come more authors aren't writing about it? And um, I thought, okay, well, I have this character I created for the first book. What if I have her having problems in Paris, she has to leave and I will get her to Lisbon and let's see what happens in Lisbon in the city of spies. And it just came from there. I had no idea how I was going to get her out of Paris. I had no idea what she was going to be doing in Lisbon. None of it. (laughs) But I thought, let's see what happens and let's follow the what ifs. And hopefully a good story will come out of it. It's, it. So it was taken from the character. What was it about um, Elizabeth uh, that you wrote in, in the first book, which which hasn't been published, I don't think, that, as you say, is, is, is half-baked? What was it about Elizabeth that, that, that really made you need to tell more of her tale? She wouldn't go away. She was an ancillary character that I had in the first couple of chapters, and I thought, she's a filler. She's totally a filler. 
And as I started writing that book, I could almost feel her over my shoulders prodding me saying, hurry up because you're going to be telling my story next. And I thought, she's going to be fun. She's going to be so much fun. And she kept cropping up in, in the other storyline. And I'm like, I have to, I have to just put that down and deal with her because otherwise I will never finish this other story. Because her, her voice was just so loud in my brain. But I think she's also one of those people that, um, she's larger than life. She's a lot of fun, but she's so very accident prone. And the things that happened to her, you know, I got to the end of the book and I'm like, I feel like I've been on a roller coaster with her. So what, what did you know about the story? I know you said you didn't know a lot. You didn't know how she was going to get out of Paris. You didn't know really anything else. What did you know about this story before you started writing that very first sentence? Um, I knew I wanted it to end up in Lisbon. I had done um, some research about Lisbon at the time. Um, I wanted her to be involved with that. I, I had read about, um, you had in Lisbon, it, it was kind of, everybody was there. You had exiled aristocrats, you had smugglers, you had the German embassy was almost directly opposite the British embassy. So you can imagine them sitting on the roofs with binoculars, checking out what's happening on the other side. Um, nobody was who, who they said they were going to be. And I thought, what better place for her to operate? Um, what if I have her there doing some espionage or counter espionage against this German um, ring that's operating out of the port? What if I get her involved possibly with some of the Wolfram smuggling that was happening over there? What if? So I had a lot of what ifs, but I didn't have the storyline when I started at all. If, if you're there with your character, almost stumbling around Lisbon in, in the dark, uh, trying to figure out what the plot is, describe to me, when do you first start to know what shape this story is taking? When are you realizing actually what the plot is, where the thread is leading you? Well, the interesting thing is, is it didn't feel like um, either Elizabeth or I was stumbling around in the dark because she knew what was happening. I just had to figure it out. <laughs> um, and one thing always ended up leading to another. And I got her out of, of France, got her into Lisbon. What happened? Somebody has asked her to do something. While she's trying to do that, she stumbles onto something else. I thought, okay, this is going to start to gain momentum. And it, one thing always led to another, and it, it just started to appear, and I kept following the what-ifs. And at what, what point... So when you say I'm methodical, I really am not. <laughs> no, it's, just, it's just the day is so methodical. It's fine. At what point are you starting to get a sense of how this is going to end, how... how it's all tying together. That probably, I started getting an inkling about halfway through the book. Um, and I was kind of at that point aiming for a particular ending. I didn't quite get the ending I thought I was going to get. Um, and the reason for that is another one of those bizarre moments. Um, because when I write, there's for me, I need to have the sense of place where I'm writing about. So I had gone to Lisbon and I 
pretty much cast about and said, let, let me see what I could find, what's going to happen, where. I'd already been a couple of times before, but I knew something was going to happen in one particular town. I just didn't know what. And I went to that town and I wandered around and it was, um, the, the place itself gave me a hint as to what was going to happen there. And I don't want to say what it is because it's going to ruin the end of the book for you. <laughs> when, you are, when you are in Lisbon, I mean, when you're writing about being in Lisbon and you're not too sure about what the plot actually is at this point, what you do, what you do know is the the setting, the location. How are you bringing how are you bringing that to life with the words on a page? I know that sounds so so simple and rudimentary for me to ask a writer. How are you writing? You know how how are you describing the buildings around you? But uh, just give us a flavour of what that's like, especially writing a spy story, a spy story set in the world in the Second World War. You, it naturally you need to evoke a feeling in readers. How are you doing that? First, I needed to get a little bit more familiar with the city myself. Um, and I start peppering in bits of the city. What sort of food do they normally eat? What sort of places do they normally go? What's the music like? Uh, my character has um, quite a few um, mishaps um or or adventures um going around some of the um historic um, places the relics the the um remains of the castle um so i start adding things in there based on what i feel when i'm there i kind of try to imagine how she how she would speak um she does not really speak like me which is a little bit challenging um, so I'm sure my copy editor, um, I probably owe quite a lot of beer to, to uh, make sure that he <laughs> fixed any Americanisms that I had peppered in there. Um, but I kind of imagine her sitting beside me and talking and imagining the way she would talk and trying to capture that. Basically, I've created a fully formed ghost and it's really just trying to get her onto the paper. So I am up close and personal. She's in my head. Um, so I figure she might as well be in everybody else's head. Sorry, I've always wanted to know when writing first person, Mara, how do you deal with the, the stuff that your character doesn't know, but maybe we as readers do need to know? That is a really good question. Um, some of it she gets from conversations with other people. Some of it she finds out the hard way. Um, but if, if there's no way for her to have known about it and there's no way one of the other characters could have given her that hint, um, she'll be stumbling into a problem, which might happen occasionally. Let's talk about the edit then. You said kind of your first draft is just getting stuff out there. How, how do you possibly know where to begin in molding that draft into into something that could be publishable one day? I started off doing it for me. So it was more a case of how can I tighten it up so that way it's something I would want to read. Um, and once I get it as good as I can get it, um, and I will go through and try to make sure, you know, is this exciting? Does this happen? Does that happen? And once I um, go through the first draft, I might have a couple of notes saying, you know, you might want to include this in there, or you might want to include that in there, and I'll go back and, and pepper that in. Once I get it as good as I can do it, I'll bounce it off my agent. And my agent is a, an 
absolute star. Um, and he'll give me a few suggestions that will definitely bring it to the next level. Um, and the magic totally happens when my editor gets her hands on it. And um, I, I basically, any suggestion they make makes it a better book. So I'm, I'm not going to um, argue the point with them. I think I've, I've debated it a couple of times, <laughs> but, but they, they've really helped with that. Why do you think sometimes you can't see the suggestions that they're making before they make them, if that makes sense? I've always wondered what's going on um, when, when sometimes your editor will say something and you think, oh, it just seems so obvious. Why didn't I think of that? What what is it that you think what is it that you think is getting in the way? Um, I think sometimes, especially if it's something I've just finished, I'm so close to it. And I think because I'm that close to it, I can't necessarily have that wider vantage point of maybe you should have this happen over here, or maybe you should have that happen over there. Um and sometimes having that extra perspective um just really really helps um it might also be something like hey listen you know i read about this and that also was happening at the time did you want to include that or not and i might then go away and have a think and think okay yes that makes sense let's include it or i'm not quite sure if that will make it too busy because of this so they'll make a suggestion but we'll talk about it so it's not a case of them saying you must make this change and me saying you know over my dead body um it's very much a case of i have this suggestion and i think it can work but let's talk most of the suggestions that they made have been fantastic so i'm i'm by no means complaining and you're writing in this is espionage fiction uh i'm when you're writing in genre how closely are you paying attention to the the tricks and the tropes and, and the the standards of the genre, especially with something like espionage fiction, when uh, you, I mean, there are so many spy stories out there that maybe you must worry that everything's been done before? I didn't really have that worry for City of Spies simply because Lisbon felt like fresh ground. Most of the um, spy books, female spy agent books, um, World War II based, are based in France or Germany, maybe one or two, a couple of them in England, not so many in um, Portugal. So that felt a little bit different. Um, I wasn't really worried about something being done before. Um, why? I think because I was trying to stay as true to the character and see what was happening with her. And I figured that if there was something that did feel repetitive, I can change it on the edit. But it was something that just to get the storyline down, I would probably have just pushed through. And lastly, this is the, um, you've just finished writing your second novel that will hopefully be published. Uh, wh what did you kind of learn from the first that you put into action when you started writing the second about the way that you write about actually what gets books published? Oh, <laughs> I think it's listened to my characters even more than I had been. Um, in the second book, it's written in the first person again, but it's got two other main characters um, that have very loud voices as well. And I think it's 
not trying to shoehorn everybody into Elizabeth. And I think the other things that I was learning was, I think it's, it, it's maintaining the links, making, making sure that what I was doing is a true to the time, which I've, I've always tried to do. Um, but maintaining the pace, maintaining, you know, how can I tie it back into into um, history? Because for me, that that's the fun bit. And that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Thank you so much to Mara Timone. Uh, you can find out more about her brand new book, City of Spies, and get yourself a copy using the link uh, in the episode notes below. And we've also got it over at writersroutine.com. You can find out more about the book that has sponsored this show too, The House of Paris Le Grand by Nicholas Robinson. Uh, in the episode notes and at writersroutine.com. Now, next week, uh, we're chatting to Jane Fallon, all about her 10th novel, Queen Bee. It's out right now. We talk about working in lockdown, uh, about overwriting, and about how she gets inspiration for her stories uh, f- from from where she lives and the type of strange uh, characters who kind of surround her. So that's next week on Writer's Routine. I'm very excited for you to hear that. Now, in the meantime, uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can do it in a few ways. First, very simply, with cash. Do that over at patreon.com. I thought I'd be honest. Patreon.com forward slash Writer's Routine. Also, we'd love you to do it by um, uh, leaving a review for the show on Apple Podcasts, if that's how you are listening, uh, and for tweeting about us whenever you can. Sending a retweet, that's always helpful. Uh, to do that, follow us on Twitter at Writer's Pod, and you can get in touch with the show. Let me know what you think over at writersroutine.com, and I will see you next week with Jane Fallon. Bye. <laughs>Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.